welcome to Shares RMB Life Podcast, a place where we explore life with metastatic breast cancer from the perspective of us, the people living with this disease, and the experts and advocates who help make our lives better. I'm Lisa Laudico, and today we're talking to the people behind the Become Project from the Metastatic Breast Cancer Alliance. Our team at the podcast has released several episodes related to the issues of racial disparities in healthcare for individuals living with MBC. The data is not good. In the U.S., the mortality rate for non-Hispanic Black women with breast cancer is 40% higher than that for non-Hispanic white women. And as we noted in our two-part clinical trial episodes, Clinical trials are essential for all of us living with MBC to improve outcomes in general and our own survival. In spite of this, Black individuals make up only 3 to 6% of patients in all cancer clinical trials. Clearly, this has to change. The Metastatic Breast Cancer Alliance's BECOME project stands for Black Experience of Clinical Trials and opportunities for meaningful engagement. BECOME is a new research initiative developed to find out why these clinical trial participation numbers are so low and what can be done about it. To find out more about this comprehensive, patient-focused effort to conduct deeper research in the Black community on barriers to clinical trial participation and the survey that will drive it, I spoke with the Become Project lead, Stephanie Walker, and team member, Sheila Foos. First up, here's Stephanie giving us a little background on how the Become Project was started from an idea generated back in December of 2019. Hello, everybody. I wanted to thank you, Lisa, and the staff for inviting me to come onto your podcast and talk about my project called Become. I'm Stephanie Walker. I am a metastatic breast cancer patient, diagnosed de novo in 2015, currently on my first line of treatment. The history actually stemmed from the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium that um, I attended and Sheila attended in 2019. We had met just online through some other support groups and, and really clicked, actually. So during the conference, another Hear My Voice advocate from LBBC was presenting a poster, and her name was Marina Kaplan. She's an epidemiologist that lived in Miami, and she conducted a poster, and it was regarding patient outcomes and solutions, and she did a poster. And during that poster presentation, she discovered that there was only like 8.87% of the respondents of her poster of almost 500 people were African-American or Black. So she thought that was a problem. She didn't know why. So actually, she and Sheila were having a conversation. Sheila actually filmed her presentation and had um, all kinds of personal information regarding the project. And between her and Marina talking about who else could do that, pull off the survey for Black participants only. And uh, I think Sheila kind of threw me under the bus, but no, she didn't. But I'm thankful that the introductions were made and I agreed to do it. She just wanted another survey done similar to hers and get the Black perspective. Um, Black patients with NBC 
what their perspective was of clinical trials and focus on that group of the population. So that that's how it actually really started. I'm a nurse by trade. To know about a survey or a poster or something, my idea of a poster, Sheila and I were talking about, we could write down some questions, put them on a copy machine, copy them off, and throw them out there and you could answer. That, that was the extent of it. We had no idea of what would become of this project actually become. Right. So we also have with us Sheila Foos, a Become Project Committee member who was first diagnosed with breast cancer in 2009 and then with MBC in 2017. Welcome, Sheila. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Lisa. I love how Stephanie has begun to describe Marina Kaplan's role in jumpstarting this initiative. Marina is a hero to so many, and we've spoken about her leadership on the podcast many times. Certainly, we've talked a lot about the Marina Kaplan Project Breast Cancer Brain Mets Initiative, which is another project of the Metastatic Breast Cancer Alliance that was inspired by Marina and her life experience. Sheila, can you tell me a little bit more about those early conversations that you had with Marina? Yeah, I was uh, speaking to Marina at the, actually it was at the first time, was at the Teresa Foundation Conference. And we were talking about participation in clinical trials and why they're so low. And she just began to explain from start to finish her whole poster. And I pretty much said, whoa, how about I film this all? Because it could be a good resource for other people later on. And so I did that. And then when we saw each other at the San Antonio um, Breast Symposium, in 2019, as Stephanie just spoke about, Marina specifically wanted to ask Stephanie about picking up the torch, passing the torch, so to speak. She was very confident that Stephanie would be a valuable resource to do more of a focus on the Black black population in regards to clinical trials. So when they spoke about it, I I pretty much said, you can do it, Stephanie. Marina's going to help and guide you. And unfortunately, we know that that didn't happen because Marina passed before that could happen, but she was, she was so confident in Stephanie and I just wanted to extend my confidence to Stephanie. And I've just been like a big cheerleader through this whole process, really. So I'm just proud to be a part of it. I never tire of listening to stories like this, patient advocates, networking, and just getting it done. So what happened next, Stephanie? Unfortunately, before we could get our heads together. Morena passed away, and this was shortly after attending the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. Actually, she was really sick when she came to do that poster. So she was hoping that increasing clinical trial participation would allow new treatments to become more quickly bought to uh, market and available to patients. So we're going to carry it forward that goal that she wanted to do to find out why um, Black participants aren't participating in clinical trials. So with that being said, what has been done to continue this on, we have completed a lit review that was done and a list of statistics and facts about Black presentation in clinical trials. That's been completed. We have completed 32 key informant interviews. And when I say we, I'm talking about the whole team, including the consulting teams, which is C.B. White and Kaliva. Actually, Kaliva completed the 32 interviews 
which consisted of the patients, clinicians, researchers, administrators, and payers. And by completing those, Carol came up with a draft of survey creation for us. Also, there's going to be a link on the webpage in which you will be able to go to to complete the survey. There will also be a toolkit, and we also will have a paper copy that is in the works as well. The goals uh, for Become Project, the goals are actionable outcomes. And it's not just actionable outcomes for um, the subcommittee and this little core group, it's for everybody. I want to be able to have actionable group outcomes for the nonprofits and industry to take a look at to see what they can change to impact and increase the participation of Blacks in clinical trials. Also, we want to hope to reconvene in three to six months to see what actions have actually occurred and what the outcome of that is on this BECOME project. Here's Carol White of CB White, a market research company that works with nonprofit organizations to explain the mechanics involved in the creation of the survey. I want to just tell you quickly about what's been done and what's coming up, particularly to inspire you about the survey. So the key informant interviews that they've already been mentioned, so I'll just tell you uh, again quickly from my vantage point uh, what we did and why we did them. The primary purpose of a key informant interview in a project like, like this is to make sure we've identified all the issues, concerns, motivations, and barriers that we want to subsequently quantify. So it's really an input. I know that sometimes people hear 32 interviews and think a lot about it as an output, but in this case, these in interviews really were to help us write a great survey, making sure that we have the right um, questions and answer choices available. And as Stephanie has mentioned, we had 32 of those. Each of those had an in-depth, personal, one-on-one -on -one interview. And their questions, of course, each was a little bit different depending on their role. But overall, they got into the topic of involvement in cancer clinical trials and metastatic breast cancer, and particularly what uh, were the considerations and barriers when people thought about what was involved for a Black patient. So they talked about what would be motivating, what might be a barrier, what were the support and information needs, and what would be good recruitment and retention strategies. So that's what was covered primarily in those 32 interviews. We used that to develop the survey. So that's the coming attraction. The primary purpose of this survey is to quantify the views of people living with NBC to inform decisions, priorities, and actions. Stephanie has talked about this overall project arc. And as we head into survey development, I want to um, mention that purpose statement is quite important, particularly the latter half of it in a way, in terms of saying that we need to, when, when we go to write surveys, we always have too many questions. And I think a great filter for deciding whether a question stays in or not is will it inform a decision or priority or an action? If it's just nice to know, that's nice, but it will make the survey too long. And so we really try to tie what we're going to learn to thinking about what it will help us know, decide, and act on. So we've had these really phenomenal inputs to this survey. Many of they have been mentioned. The lit review and the key informant interviews were two very important inputs. And I will say that this survey has developed in a way that it is no longer something we originally did. And I think Stephanie mentioned we don't we didn't we're not just um, taking the 2019 survey and saying, let's just roll it out and get a broader 
set of respondents, we really are used all this lit review and the key informant interviews to revise that survey. And it's a pretty dramatic rewrite, in fact, to um, ensure that we uh, have the right kinds of questions and answer choices for the group we're trying to reach out to. There has been this amazing iterative process working with the Become Leadership Team, a phenomenally dedicated group of people, and the full subcommittee. And then, of course, on the team that I represent that involves a statistician as well. And so there's been this iteration where we develop survey, we get input, we consider that input, revise, and update. And that's brought us to, I think, a survey we're all quite excited about, the main domains covered in it. Of course, it is targeted to people living with MBC. So we capture their demographics and descriptors. Uh, and we talk about their, their and uh, have them answer questions about their experience with their oncology care team, things like what kind of information is shared, what's the trust level, many things that, that are both attitudes and experience with the team. We gather their perceptions of clinical trials, knowing that, in fact, those might be that will range from uh, deeply informed to maybe not informed. We ask what they think would be motivating about participating and what would be a barrier and learn about what they think would be good support supports and information that would enable them to feel like a eager participant in a clinical trial. Patient Spotlight, I'll introduce Carla Harvey. She's one of the persons on our, one of the people on our subcommittee and has done a phenomenal job. Carla, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank you, Stephanie. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Carla Harvey. In May of 2014, I was diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma, stage four de novo at age 37. Of course, this is well before the recommended age to start receiving mammograms. After all the biopsies, the CT scan, the full body bone scan, and brain MRI, breast cancer metastasis were found all over three of the most common locations for ductal carcinoma, which, is, which were bones, lungs, and liver. I assumed that all of the aches and pains and fatigue was from the wear and tear of my years of being in the Army. I had no idea that cancer was lurking throughout my body. My oncologist at the beginning of my treatment, my oncologist also happens to have his PhD in clinical care and research, explained in the beginning the eligibility criteria that I would need to that I would need before being placed on a clinical trial. The treatments that I've received and that I'm currently on, of course, were once clinical trials. I'm very grateful for the patients that came before me who volunteered in the clinical trials of the parent therapists that I received today. Here's another member of the Become Project, Felicia Johnson. I am Felicia. And so before I discuss these four points, I would like to say that I am high risk for breast cancer. My breast cancer surveillance for myself started at the age of 25, if I remember. And I've had eight women over three generations be diagnosed, including myself, with metastatic breast cancer. I was... My diagnosis was de novo metastatic breast cancer. And unfortunately, my experience with clinical trials has been of a personal interest. 
I do understand that African-Americans are a small percentage of participants. And I decided to venture out and learn about clinical trials and some of the struggles I had. I didn't know when or who initiates the conversation to participate in available clinical trials. I don't know if it's the responsibility of the patient, the caregiver, or the doctor, or even the protocols. How does the patient or caregiver learn when the discussion should start? Unfortunately, my doctor and I never had a conversation about clinical trials. And I don't know of any Black women or men that I've had a relationship with in the Mets community that's ever been offered a clinical trial. And during my sister's metastatic uh, diagnosis, who died at age 47, even as her cancer was spreading, I did not know whether to ask if she was a candidate for clinical trials before the cancer had spread to her, her brain. Because in my own learning, I, I understand that if you have brain mets, that causes some problems with um, protocol for clinical trials. And then there, there was never any discussion from her medical team. So my concern or desire is to really learn about the protocol for clinical trials, who's responsible, and learning this information because I like to inform women in the metastatic community before a spread occurs to give them what I call standby information before the spread continues and continues and you don't know when to start that conversation with your doctor or you don't even know if your medical oncologist is a researcher or has interest in research or any access to clinical trials. So I'm glad to be a part of the team and thank you, Stephanie, for asking me. Our next uh, person that we're going to speak to is Sheila. She also has metastatic breast cancer. I'm Sheila Pettiford, and I, I am a metastatic breast cancer patient, but I started off at, at 45 with uh, stage two, or maybe three. <laughs> the funny part about that is, is we weren't really sure what stage I was because it turned out that there were two tumors, but I digress. I started off, as I said, at 45 with uh, breast cancer and was uninsured. And I wasn't really concerned about dying. I was more concerned about how I was going to have this invasion in my body treated. I was very fortunate to participate in a national breast and cervical cancer program. And they were able to assist me in getting insurance through Medicaid for five years. And I'm very grateful for that. And during that process, I was able to, I had gotten a mammogram, I'm sorry, a mastectomy, as well as chemotherapy. And my journey was relatively easy, but I will say that there wasn't any information that was given to me at that time on clinical trials. I happened to go to a, a phenomenal church and during the process of just learning how to navigate being a survivor of breast cancer, I joined their cancer ministry. And in their cancer ministry, there was a wonderful woman, Brenda Bryant, who worked with Penn Medicine, and she was like an ambassador for clinical trials. So she did give me a lot of information and going to various conferences and things of that nature, I learned about clinical trials. 
but I never really felt it was something that I wanted to participate in. Moving forward to 2018, excuse me, 2014, that's when I was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer in my lungs. Seeing as I had already learned about the, the, the things that clinical trials could do for anybody, I wanted to participate. Did tell my oncologist about that, but I believe it's because of the fact that I didn't want to, I didn't want chemotherapy anymore, that I was not given a lot of assistance in finding a clinical trial through my oncologist. But I'm a researcher, so I tried myself. It's very challenging to understand what it is that would make you eligible for a clinical trial. But I did embark upon that process with the various things you can find on, find out on Google. But nothing seemed to, to, to work for me. And when I did bring that back to my oncologist, her thought was I was doing well with the treatments that, that I was on. So there was no need for it. But I happened to meet some wonderful people who, uh, as a matter of fact, a person with my same name, Sheila McGlowan, I believe that's how you pronounce her last name. She has been participating in clinical trials. So it has always been something that I wanted to do. This committee has been the become project and being on this committee is a real honor for me because I recognize how, it is, how important it is for diversity, for there to be um, diversity in clinical trials, for there to be more potential possible, more potential positive outcomes. So this has been not a no, no type of labor at all. This really has been an honor to be on this committee because the most important thing is there's so many barriers to all types of treatment for African-Americans and people of color. And we want to figure out how we can eradicate some of those barriers, especially the barriers to clinical trials. I'm presently on high grants, which I know came out of a clinical trial and I'm doing very well. And I'm so grateful to be able to live seven years with a disease that is considered terminal and incurable. Thank you, Sheila, so much for sharing your story. Next up, I asked Stephanie for more details around the actual survey and whether it just focused on why there isn't enough participation of Black individuals in clinical trials, or if the survey also specifically asked about what can be done about it. Both. The questions that we called our first draft, it talks about why are these barriers, if we took these barriers away, what would it mean to you? Would you have that participation? And, and the barriers are, are going, are, are there. And COVID, if nothing else, COVID-19 has shown us that there's ways around doing these clinical trials. We have medical practices that are doing so much Zoom, they're hardly, you know, at their office anymore. We, it's just amazing the things that, that we, as a group of People, NBC, have gone through with COVID. Unfortunately, there have been people that have had treatments delayed and scans delayed and, and stuff like that. But we have also found that some people on clinical trials, a lot of them did stop for a while, that why can't people on clinical trials have blood work drawn at their community cancer center instead of traveling from Virginia to California? Or why is it that the scans can't be done at home and, and then transmitted to the clinical trial site? Sometimes even the medicine, but I do understand IV med sometimes and our particular or, or the clinical trial is particular that still wants the patient to come in. 
But we have we are learning that it doesn't have to be that way. Cost is a big prohibitive when it comes to clinical trials, as well as the simple things, child care, bus fare, meals while you're there all day long. I've never participated in a clinical trial, was never offered one. But now that I know, I'll be the first one to be knocking on somebody's door when it when that time comes. Stephanie now describes how the Become Project team hopes to get the survey that will be located on the MBCA website out to the target of at least 500 people all throughout the United States. We wanted uh, to help us get get it out. Other than social media, we came up with ambassadors. So we wanted ambassadors located throughout in different spots in the U.S. that some of them that have problems with rural areas, just as I live in, uh, how are we going to get it out to them? So we part of our social media campaign has a toolkit that's located on the landing page that anybody can go to. You can copy off the survey there, uh, PDF. You can fill it out right there. Go to a site and fill it out. You can print it and give it to somebody that you know that can't look at it online and then actually mail it back to us. So we're working on the paper version as well. But the goal is to reach those people that you don't see online every day. We want to reach the people that go to the community cancer centers because 80% of patients in cancer care go to community cancer centers. Everybody doesn't go to an NCI designated center. That's my goal. Lofty goals of 500 respondents with a half, 250 being of African-American or Black population. You have to be 18. You have to live in the U.S. And it's not just for Black people. White people can answer too, but we still have to have that ratio. Uh, that we're looking for half and half. I really wanted to get it out there. We're hoping to have it run for for at least four weeks. Four. Uh, we're going to go forward. So yeah. we we are going to be writing uh, the information in a summarized way that everybody can take a look at it and see what we came up with. And then the plan is in three to six months after that is all published and everybody knows about it, we want to convene with the NBCA and those others to see what have you done with some of this information? You said you were going to do something. What have you done? And I'm one of those people that lip service only goes so far. Let's see what you got. Yeah, indeed. If you were going to wave um, a magic wand, Stephanie and Sheila, what do you hope will happen as a result of all of this hard work? If I had the magic wand, I would want, obviously, first and foremost, that all the women, Black women, Black men, with NBC would get a copy of this survey and take it. I would hope that the solutions are actionable solutions. We want actionable things to to occur or to be found. And then I would want the industry and nonprofits to pick that up and make a change. I would just simply say that there shouldn't be any wrong door to enter into clinical trials. There shouldn't be. It should be simple and easy. It should be an option for everyone, especially those of us living with metastatic breast cancer. I could not agree more. I appreciate both of you. And I love that you're bringing Marina's idea to the fore. So thank you. I appreciate you both so very much. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you giving us the opportunity. This podcast is produced by me, Lisa Laudico, and our truly amazing team of Bob DeVito, Dar Finkelstein, Natalia Green, Victoria Goldberg, Ellen Landsberger, Sheila McGlone, Riley Starr, 
and Anne Woodward. Our executive producer is Christine Benjamin, Senior Director of Patient Services and Education at Share Cancer Support. Our senior intern is Sarah Mann, along with interns Angelica Alberstadt, Emily Lewis, Samantha Silverstein, and Amy Tedeschi. We have benefited from expert social media consulting from Jake Amarelli and sound design and original music compositions from Jim Cremens and Samantha Silverstein. You can find more episodes of RNBC Life wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us, and look for a new episode every second Monday. Check out our blog and full episode notes on our website at rnbclife.org. We'd love to hear from you.